0: Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Tom Schultz is a serial entrepreneur turned investor. In 1995, Tom co-founded the first publicly traded nationwide internet service provider in Germany, the Cybernet AG. After his first IPO, he became an angel investor with the Munich Business Angel Network and the Angels Forum in Silicon Valley. He's been an investor for more than 26 years and invests in an integrally sustainable manner in exponential tech, clean tech and health tech. Tom earned an MBA degree from Stanford University and studied computer science at the ETH Zurich and Karlsruhe Institute of Technology, where he received a master's degree in computer science and AI.
1: Tom, thank you for being here and welcome to our podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm excited.
1: (laughs) What happened in your life that put you on this path of being an integral, calling yourself an integral investor today?
2: Uh, I, I guess many things happened. One of them, meeting you, <laughs> uh, being uh, with you for a long uh, period of time, of, of, of all that, uh, of these adventures. Um, w- what else happened? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, looking back, um, when you look at the resume or if the list of things that I did, it uh, looks almost. Uh, uh, as if it were in pr- purpose. But uh, it's it's not at all. I just, uh, in, in high school, I, I enjoyed math and physics. I wanted to study that. But I only learned then that I could actually study computer science. Um, so I studied computer science. It was like math, just more exciting. Um, and then for every single step that you listed, uh, there was almost like a... Uh, a coincidence leading there. I, uh, for example, I was f- after two years in Karlsruhe. I was fed up with the system; it was extremely difficult. Um, they put you through a very tough math program instead of computer science, um, just to make sure that most of the students actually leave again after two years, because there were not as many um, positions available for that many students. Uh, so I was fed up after two years, needed a break. And because I visited somebody at uh, in Zurich once, and I, and I just enjoyed the university there, the ETH, actually, the Federal Institute of Technology, I said, well, why don't I go there for a year? I can study computer science there. I, I uh, just asked them how much that is. I thought it's impossible for non-Swiss people to do that at all, or it would be really expensive, and they said something like, well, it's 100 or 200 Swiss francs per year. Tuition. So I si- tuition. So I signed up immediately. Um, and uh, this is where I learned in one year in Zurich, I learned more than in many years in, in Karlsruhe at uh, Computer Science. And actually that, because I, uh, I had the opportunity to study with Niklas Wirth who is one of the gurus of compiler construction. He invented, for example, the languages Pascal and Modular 2. Because I studied Modular 2 with him, the next year I had the opportunity to uh, get picked in this exchange program that you um, introduced me to the year earlier.
1: With the Stanford University. With
2: Stanford University. Stanford University had the idea not to bring only um, American students to Berlin, what they did on a regular basis, but why don't we bring German students to Stanford? And uh, that was uh, combined with an internship in uh, one of the high-tech companies. So I landed that uh, internship position with digital equipment in, the, in their Western Research Lab just because I was uh, in Zurich the year earlier. And so on and so on I, I I could go on for forever, I guess, so each step made sense at the time, and in total it makes still sense, but why why what happened in what what order was not planned at all?
1: so it wasn't um uh, uh, intentional on purpose, but you were somewhat still guided by your interests and uh, loves for the subject and
2: each time it was, the next step was uh, uh, I, uh, the, the answer to the questions, what's fun now? What is, so it, it, today you you would uh, translate it with flow. So is this what I want to do every day? Math, physics, programming, interesting, smart people, the, the surrounding, right? I was in Zurich, I was in San Francisco, it was not not in uninteresting places this was great um, it was also turns out what the world needed right technology it's uh, it is still a mega trend um, and uh, it, it is meaningful in but, but that aspect actually became clearer uh, only the last couple of years the last 10 years right you can spend a lot of time with technology and other things but uh, it's it's only satisfying when it's also meaningful. So when it's uh, not for violent, violent video games, but maybe um, you make a data center more efficient, or you um, um, you you help people communicate, like the internet. I remember how we discussed whether I should uh, um, uh, quit my job at BCG. Um, so, well-paying career job with a with a global management consulting firm, uh, uh, quit that job in order to start an internet company, and nobody knew what that was. Um, but we both we, we share our experience from Eastern countries, communist countries. My my parents come from uh, originally from what uh, what was then East uh, Berlin, East Germany. So we know that communication was radically controlled. Um, We all have seen the movie, The World of Others, or The Life of Others, where the Stasi is listening in, um, in private communication. And uh, most of all, the possession of Xerox copy machines was controlled. Um, And they, very few of them existed. And then whoever made copies was already under suspicion. So something that helps people communicate on, I don't know, on on a global level um, must be good, must be a mega trend. And uh, so I jumped ship. And uh, we founded uh, what uh, what became the first uh, nationwide internet service provider in Germany. There was, even then, um, we just a couple of days, right, we saw this chart that we used uh, in, in the pitch deck uh, that showed how uh, the internet, even then, was growing exponentially. I mean, even then, the internet was, I think the data goes back into the 60s the first couple of computers that were plugged together to form what's then uh, what was then the ARPANET and then later the Internet. Um, and that exponential development is still true today. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's go back a little bit because of uh, the coincidence. We were actually in, in the Valley. We had both lived in Silicon Valley back in mid 90s at the same time actually uh, when Elon Musk started his own first internet company. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Tell us a little bit about your. what happened before you decided to leave BTG for good. You have uh, seen the opportunity of applying the internet in helping people with finding good houses.
2: Oh, that was funny! Tell us yeah, about yeah, that. yeah. The, so it was an interesting. You're a time.
1: pioneer. That could have been the first internet company, uh, one of the first .dot com.
2: Uh, oh, it was one one of the first .dot com companies. I'm sure. Successes.
1: Um. I wanted to finish my <laughs> sentence.
2: <laughs> and it survived until last year, so it wasn't. <laughs> 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 we call that a zombie, I think. Yeah. Tell so, us about this. Yeah. The reason
1: why I'm asking is mm-hmm. uh, because it, that brings us to the topic of, uh, you know, why today we call ourselves integral investors and the mm-hmm. role of the. team. So why don't you give us an insight as to what the idea was back then and uh, why it didn't work and why we then moved back to Europe where you started Cybernet. Mm.
2: So that was the time when I worked for BCG in San Francisco uh, from 93 to 94 probably. And, uh, of course, from the years as a student, we we both knew that there is something called the Internet. But the main application was email and then some nerdy stuff like the File Transfer Protocol and Gopher and ARC News Groups and whatnot. But what was new in 90, hmm, I think it was 94, um, there was a Unix conference in San Francisco, Moscone Center. And in a lunch break, I went over um, and I saw it was to the
1: exhibition area to the
2: exhibition area and I saw the mosaic uh, browser for the first time. And I think they didn't even have pictures, I'm not sure, but it was was a browser. So it was immediately clear that now everybody can use that. So everybody can be a publisher, everybody can, Use this thing to browse the internet. So immediately, everybody's communicating with everybody, um, and it was—I Im- mean, for me, it was immediate, and not only me, but uh, many people saw that this is the next big thing. I think in, in just a few weeks, uh, we had this team together—a very good friend of ours, um, Gabe. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, Joe, his friend from the real estate business. And uh, what we did was we brought real estate listings online on, on our website. So we had a computer in our living room, then later in the garage, because you have to have it in the garage. In Palo in Alto. In Palo Alto. Um, the other reason is that you, my wife, <laughs> I didn't want to meditate in front of <laughs> wanted to meditate in the living room and not have the computer there. So yes, I, we, we moved this whole business uh, in the garage. And uh, I think it was Thursdays we got a, a floppy disk w- from the real estate broker that they, that they brought over to the printers of the daily or the weekly newspaper in Palo Alto f- with all the ads that uh, will, uh, would have been published on Friday or Saturday. And we had that floppy first. We converted that. So I wrote a conversion program uh, application, and, and, and uh, we had that online the same night. And uh, a few days later, Cornish & Kerry, the real estate broker, called us and said, well, they had the first sales or people who are looking for houses in Palo Alto from Japan. So somebody who would not have bought the newspaper, of course. So they had more leads, more sales right away. So immediate proof of concept. Um, so
1: Baynet World, so the name of the company World, was good.
2: Yeah, um, that was good. So we, I, I said, well, now, great, next step. Let's buy a bigger server, let's have more people getting more data in. Let's not do it for Palo Alto, but every city. Um, let's buy bandwidth, because believe it or not, that, that thing was running on a modem, on a telephone modem. So let's get a real thing. And then uh, it became clear that our team of three had very different um, intentions or visions about where this is going. And, um, uh, well... Sh- Long story short, uh, it was more important to us to stay friends uh, with them, especially Gabe, a uh, very good friend, um, but not uh, but but go separate ways. So the company actually never really invested um, and it must be the only company from ninety four that just tunneled through the whole internet cycles. So they never went bankrupt. They never made it big. They just had two or three employees all the time. (laughs) And they're still in the business of publishing real estate ads. Um, But for the two of us, it was uh, clear that, oh my God, this is big. Uh, The internet will have marketplaces. That's not our idea. I saw that in, in San Francisco when you talk to people. I met the people who had the first code running which, uh, of, of classified ads, which became eBay, um, also Match.com, uh, newspapers. Uh, all the ideas were there right away. Um, I met with a guy, another lunch break, I met with a guy who just that morning registered the domain sex.com. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, every morning we have a brainstorming session and we just come up with names and we register them. Because it's free, right? And so it's it's like the Wild West. You just put your, you stake up your, your claim. Um, so that morning they registered sex.com. That's a totally different story. I think it's written up in Wired. Uh, it's a very wild story, actually. Um but with all these ideas, we then made the decision to come to Germany and, and do it here. So build content and platforms on the Internet. Real estate, newspaper, whatnot. What and we had to figure, we had to find out that there was no Internet. Of course, People it existed. People even didn't know what it was. Yeah, of course, <laughs> the university, uh, uh, first of all, University of Karlsruhe. Um, my professor, actually, Professor Zorn, Werner Zorn, He brought the internet to China. He uh, ran the very first email communication over the internet uh, with China. Um, uh, We knew what that was, but outside of the university and and research departments of large corporations, nobody knew what's going on. People used the um, BTX, that was the the government Deutsche Post or Telekom, I don't know, maybe it was still the Deutsche Post um, central system, like Minitel in France, we had our BTX in Germany, or CompuServe, online services, um, and nobody had the internet. So uh, instead of doing content on, in, on the internet, we had to build the internet. So with a couple of people from BCG Germany and an angel investor, um, that's the first time I heard the term, we built Cybernet. The angel investor had the vision to invest in everything that came up and had to do with cyber. So he had cyber cafes, which were the first internet cafes in Berlin. Um, uh, cyber... Mind. Cyber Mind, thank you. Th- these were um, virtual reality goggles. And we're talking 95, I think, 95, 96. Um and it, they had the same applications that they have today, which is training, professional training. So you had the goggles on and you had to, you find yourself in, a, in an oil platform, oil drilling platform, and you simulate where you have to run when there's fire and smoke, which is very difficult. You have to find the, chair, the stairs and the exits, and you don't see anything because it's smoky. Um, but... Of course, the goggles were very heavy. These are line graphics, black and white line graphics, kind of slow, um, and it was driven by the most expensive Silicon Graphics machine that money could buy. So, uh, commercially not viable at all. <laughs> Today, same application. This is how m- people make money in training um, with with VR. So, um,
1: Infobahn didn't work, which was the helping people come onto the internet, have an internet presence. The idea, the original idea to help people do that didn't work. Uh, and you started Cybernet.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. Infobahn, right. The, the The first idea was under the name Infobahn. I mean, uh, bring, bring, um, yeah. do internet web highways. presences, yeah. Build websites, if you will. Connect um, banking systems. That's, that's what you did later. Um, that didn't work because there was no marketplace. We went to banks. Uh, there was no active venture scene
1: and no, in the know, mid-90s. People didn't have internet access. And of that.
2: course, uh, it was difficult to communicate with people. Right, You have to drive there or be on the phone, of course. Um, and we found ourselves talking to banks and they didn't know what to do with us. So some of us sent us to their media investing or film production departments as if we were funding a movie because it has something to do with communications. Um, Others who understood more what we are doing uh, told us that we are totally stupid because the Deutsche Telekom will do that. That's their market. Well, yeah, eventually they did that, but it took them 10 or 20 years. Uh, So that window of opportunity was ours. And we only were able to do that because we had that one business angel who um, uh, funded us up to the moment when we were able to uh, do a reverse um, IPO. And then a couple months later, we were listed also on the German uh, stock exchange. That was the first internet stock in Germany.
1: So you made history.
2: Yeah, well... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's on Wikipedia yet, but yeah. It should be.
1: <laughs> so what happened then?
2: Um, oh my God, it's an open question. What's then after after Cybernet? Yeah, we, we took a break. That was our first, uh, uh, how do you call it, liquidity event. So there's, uh, I, I have to say, because people have... have uh, sh- uh, strange stories in their mind or pictures when we say that um, it, it was before the bubble so it was a very successful exit no complaints not comparable to uh, facebook google or what what you have today um, uh, especially uh, we were talking germany so these are not these super um exuberant valuations that we have in, in the us or uh, today um, but it was our very successful exit so we were financially independent. Um, and we, uh, we said, okay, let's, let's do something for ourselves. So we, uh, and you must have covered that in, in your podcast, but uh, we spent time on, uh, on seminars, on, on learning about the world and ourselves. Um, we uh, uh, spent time with uh, Tony Robbins on his seminars and traveling with him. Um, and th- th- I must say that even after university even after a Stanford MBA working for a global strategic management company um, and running a startup that was after that that I for the first time studied psychology and myself for the first time so I don't know how people who have not done that run a company or run teams it's uh uh, it's all happening by accident, I guess. I mean, now as an investor looking back, uh, it's the very first thing we look for: how can people run their teams? How do they work in teams? And I must say that was then, yeah, after the very first, uh, after the startup, that I had time to uh, to to learn all that. And then we uh, became angel investors. Ourselves. So in your
1: case, you're journey within mm-hmm. began not out of pain but out of pleasure so that's that's different from most people yeah. i should say
2: yeah yeah it, it, it's true I, I i must say i was always interested in these topics of course uh, even in the university i i was part of a student group called iessic um They organize international uh, internship exchanges and and we do seminars for ourselves. And so, even then, we organized um, way out seminars. So, super learning, for example. So, in one week or two, you learn French or Spanish. We did this twice. And uh, you come very, very fast in a very short amount of time if you go and deep, and, and you use all emotional and psychological techniques that are out there. Deep relaxation, uh, blocking out critique in your mind, um, just being open to what's coming up. Uh, it's So you have really have to change your, not mind, but emotional setup to do that. So I was used to that, and I enjoyed that. Um, there's also... This is also my, where my interest for artificial intelligence comes from and understanding how my mind and, other, and the mind is working. I was always there. But spending time with techniques um, and learning about ourselves and how you, uh, you know, lead your life strategically and can form teams and, and influence the environment that came with Tony in that time.
1: Tony and Deepak Chopra, Deepak Chopra and Michael and Murphy, others. and we, many others. We met a lot of people, Esalen, great people. Yeah, the excellent seminars and so on. Yep. So and then, the wish to make have an impact for the world led us back to the to Silicon Valley, and uh, we became investors with the Angels Forum. Mm-hmm. So that was then the professionalization fact. Mm -hmm. of uh, investing tell us what what drove you there how uh, how has transformed that your understanding of what investing is about how investing should be done uh, in what areas you personally like to invest and why the role of an investors group and the psychology thereof can you tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about the following 10 years with the angels forum
2: yeah, the the Angels form of course is uh, is a completely then, uh, different story from Germany. So back in the US, you're in the center of Silicon Valley, Palo Alto. Um the deal flow when you just when you put your shingle out and say he, and, uh, we invest is am- amazing. So um that group was uh, there were about 20, no, 30 um 30 members. Uh, serial entrepreneurs, so everybody had one, two, or more companies uh, behind them, um, and and what's important is they ran them, they founded them, and ran them, and now they turned from investor uh, from entrepreneur to investor. Um, so you have all these people there. Um, y- what you get through the door is internet, software, hardware, but also medical devices. And some retail um, products and services, and it was in uh, uh, great the greatest training on earth. Um, uh, seeing that process, how do you determine where to invest and where where you don't? Um, you see the teams, um, you see how they a- interact, they, how they answer to questions, um, how they approach the markets. Um, um, there's all these funny anecdotes I mean for a while I specialized on way out ideas far out ideas so that's um, cancer vaccination ideas or earthquake prediction or um, blood sugar measurement without blood um, uh, um, pricking your finger all these these way out ideas I mean some of them uh, especially the blood sugars is now almost solved I think uh, but earthquake prediction, you learn a lot when you're when you're doing these far out things. with earth, earthquake prediction, actually, we had one case that seems to work. It's just very, very expensive. You need a lot of satellites. Um, and uh, it only works, of course, uh, for a few, with a few seconds or minutes warning time. Um, but we had after a couple of interviews, uh, we had to learn that nobody's interested in that. Nobody wants that data. Nobody wants to know. So we ask people in refineries if, how much they would pay for that service if they get a warning to shut down their refinery. And uh, off the record, they said, no, we wouldn't pay for that. I don't want to know. I, uh, because if we get a, a wrong, a false positive, so a, a false warning, I shut down the refinery... And then there is no earthquake, I lose my job because the damage is enormous. Um, so if there is an ar- earthquake and I lose the refinery, like everybody else, I had, I have, um, I haven't done any mistake. So I keep my job. Well, if the company is still around. So that's applicable for lots of industries. If you think you have uh, information. Um, make sure there's people out there who want to buy it. Um, But that's an anecdote you learn.
1: Yeah, so what was the impact Mm -hmm. in terms of your personal choice with respect to the areas Mm -hmm. that you want to invest in, in and why? And when you have such a broad offering of selections to invest in, How did you personally, based on your past, on your values, purpose and and outlook on Mm. the world, Mm. how do you pick and choose the investments?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, you you start out as an angel investor investing in things that you know or that you think you know, which is already a mistake. Um, Our biggest success, financial success in this group was investing in a medical device company. I knew nothing about medical devices, but many people in the group knew a lot about the market. Of course, I could read uh, uh, the balance sheets and, 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 and the technology and, and some other things. I could do my part in the due diligence, but investing in a medical device company, I would never have done alone. Um, so this is where the, the collective wisdom of the crowd came in, of that group. And uh, it was by far the most successful investment of the group. Uh, it's now uh, it's, it's Penumbra. Um, uh, I think uh, I mean they, they went public approximately three years ago, and uh, then there were fifteen hundred uh, employees selling their stents uh, or devices for ischemic stroke treatment globally. Um, we ended up uh, hearing of two cases in Munich alone of people we know, or it was some two degrees apart, that were saved by that device. And I remember the day when they presented. And the same day, we had two pitches. One was a uh, company that said, okay, let's just uh, license. Uh, very bloody, uh, most violent video game characters and uh, produce movies out of that, B-movies, cheap movies. So mm, there's a lot of gamers out there who know the the topic and the characters, so it'll be a success. I said, okay, that's, uh, this has nothing to do with technology. Uh, why should I do that? And next came the pitch of Penumbra, Saying they might have a solution, uh, many people have tried. They might have a solution, a material, to build something like a stent for the heart. Uh, the stent for the heart existed. They have now a stent for the brain. So totally risky, unlikely they will ever ever succeed. And uh, of course, we—I mean, long s- story—we invested, or the group invested. Uh, we we came later in the next round, but. Um, one of our, uh, how would we call it, maximes or, or rules now is that we invest in something that we can talk about even when it, was, uh, when it is unsuccessful. Financial failure. So they tried. It was good for, uh, for society, for the environment. There's many reasons why things can go wrong, but we can still talk about it. We're proud of uh, the, the venture. Uh, we would not invest in something that even when it was successful, we don't want to talk about, like the violent video games. Um, So that was one step towards what you you were alluding to. The next step is then after a while came that trend of social networks. Um, So we had the first pitches coming in, a, a, a social network for, I don't know, uh, dog lovers. And the next week we had the cat lovers, and the next week the horse lovers, and then came the meta network, so somebody who's selling the software framework for all animal social networks, blah, blah, blah. So it was clear it's not about technology. Um, we had lots of them, Lost, uh, lots of them went bust. Um uh, so when you hear about the successes, the big names, uh, MySpace, and then later, of course, Facebook, um, it uh, at the same time there were hundreds and hundreds of these ideas um, in in Silicon Valley looking for money. Um, and some people in the group said, "Well, this is all weird. Um, it's boring. Um, it's." Like picking a song or picking a magazine, it's it's consumer taste, um, so it has nothing to do with technology investing. And uh, that was then the first time when we formed a group called the Clean Tech Circle, uh, where we said, well, it must we are investing in things that are addressing uh, the most pressing needs of uh, society, uh, especially the environment. And it's a technology, a deep technology solution. So it's not an idea that somebody comes up under the shower in the morning and then they implement it in their, uh, sorry, um, Berlin hipster blockchain cafe in the afternoon. No, it's something where engineers had to work hard, and maybe they have patents and they know how to to then scale that on a on a global um, scale. So that was the clean tech circle. So we we. Uh, uh, some people, some co-founders of the group also founded the Cleantech Open, was the California Cleantech Open business plan competition. Uh, it is still around today. It's uh, the world's biggest um, business plan competition. Uh, it covers the, the whole US now. Um, that's why really all, uh, why they systematically, this is the US, so different from Germany, this is where volunteers are systematically going through research labs, universities, going through the desk and talking to researchers to come up with ideas, then match these people with entrepreneurs and business people, and then match those p- teams with capital, with investors. So th- this is a whole process uh which is now known as an incubation process, but they, they innovated, they, they invented that. Um, uh, I, I remember the first times around, uh, in the end, the finalists were awarded with the prizes by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the governor, governor of California then. So we had a lot of fun. Um, it covered all uh, clean tech areas, clean air, clean water, um, wastewater, of course, uh, waste, f- uh, ground, energy, energy efficiency, and so on.
1: So that put you on the path to starting Intellius a.g., the, yeah. the software solution for some part of the ener- energy turnaround, the German That's energy right. turnaround. We, Tell we, us about that.
2: We, we came back to Germany in 2009, And I already uh, had this fresh experience in mind from uh, the Cleantech Circle. A couple of ideas. Um, And I was curious to see what's next. What can we do in Germany? Um, Of course, Germany is this land of of, of Umweltschutz, so environmental protection. You have the Green Party here. So certainly there is an open door for Cleantech. Um, I met with... uh, uh, with, uh, who became the, the co-founder of Entelios, Oliver Stahl. He came back also from the US, from MIT. And he was more specific. He already uh, knew about something called demand response. Uh, that was a new system of controlling the energy grid. And uh, so after a couple of weeks of researching that space, we noticed that that does not exist in Germany. Uh, actually doesn't exist in Europe in general. Um, and we created that company. So it, it's, the reason why we did it is, is also it was very close to running an internet service provider. You, you put lots of sensors, smart meters um, out in the field in, in factories, in large power consumers. You monitor them round the clock And then when the grid needs it, you uh, can switch off power consumption remotely. Um, And of course, you do that so that you don't hurt the production process. um, And you pay these participants. It's as if uh, your airline is overbooked and they pay 100 or 200 euros to the person who is flying, who's taking the next flight later. Um, same here you get paid money if you voluntarily shift your power consumption to an hour later Um, which makes a big difference in the grid so you don't need as many reserve power plants a reserve power plant is switched on uh, it's in standby people are there it's hot Um, it's of course a huge capital expense but instead of Switching on a power plant, we can switch off power consumption. Um, it's the same effect. And uh, with now, with more and more wind and power uh, electricity in the grid, which is volatile, which cannot be controlled, uh, there's a lot of yeah, volatility in the grid. And you need either a lot of batteries, which we will eventually have, but we don't have them now, um, or you have a system like demand response.
1: But we're talking 2010, so it's ten years ago. Yeah. Today, uh, (laughs) I know that you we get a pitch of a similar solution almost every day. So people got it. What uh, made until you successful, and what uh, would you do it again today? What were back then and today the impediments to making it successful? Help us understand. Uh, yeah,
2: it was our first uh, experiment or time in the energy market, which is regulated. So suddenly, in in, uh, in the internet, you can do whatever is not obviously illegal. Well, these days they they do illegal stuff too, <laughs> but and pay a lot of lawyers to uh, to clean up after them. But anyways, the you can do a lot on the internet, um, unless somebody stops you. In the a- energy business. You can only do things that are written up explicitly in the rule book, because the market has to coordinate. Um, every second, somebody has to uh, produce as much electricity that is consumed the same second somewhere else in the grid, and that's coordinated all over Europe. Um, so, in order to to be a player, you have to stick to the rules. Uh, but but of course, these rules have been written in the m- last time, the mid nineties. And uh, now you come in as an innovator and you need to adapt the rules. Nobody has an interest in changing the rules. It is clear even, even to politicians you can explain that uh, demand response is saving a lot of resources for the whole economy. Um, the U.S. has a large demand response market and there's numbers out there, how much money they save in uh, reserve power plants and in, in assets and, and so on. Um, so that is clear. But then in order to implement that, you have to change the rules.
1: So this gets us to a very, very important topic these days. Mm-hmm. And um, we know that this decade is going to be extremely important for the future of humanity
2: mm-hmm.
1: a decade during which we need to change the systems outdated systems that no longer serve us and this is an example for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so from your perspective how would you do that today were you to start uh, and tell us today would you do it again what would be your recommendation to those who want to do it would you invest in it if yes how would you do it do you see any chances to influence existing systems regulations
0: yeah As uh, a st-
1: from a startup perspective how would you do that or even from an, a, a, a from a systems change perspective a global perspective
2: uh intelios in the end was successful in that we built a company to a certain stage and we sold it to the uh, american global market leader and the company is still around today. It was not at all a success uh, as, uh, as Google or Facebook or, or, or something else. It was slowed down by regulation and their competitors. I mean, it's, it's all, you always have competitors, but it's bad if the government helps them. Um, so in that model as it was then, I would not invest today. Because regul- the whole thing depends on the regulation. You have to change regulation first. Um, as a startup, we ended up spending so much money in yeah, lobbying um, in Berlin and in Brussels. Um, no VC would uh, pay for that. We, we actually, we were not actively hiding that expense, but... I mean, there was nobody there hired to do that. So the, the founders themselves, we had to split up the work and talk to politicians, and we actually ended up co-founding a, 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 a lobby group or in industry group on a European level, um, uh, which is super expensive. Uh, and 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 once if you ever spend time on a European level in in groups where people come from ten or twenty countries. Um, they barely understand or speak English, but everybody's smart, and they they try to to work and come up with something. Um, I mean, there's you gain a lot of respect for the EU. At the same time, you you wonder how how could this ever work, but as a startup, it's too expensive.
1: So you did manage to change to a certain degree the German regulation. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Was it finally applied at, at the legislative level or not? And it, and why it didn't?
2: Well, the reason why uh, there are forces who don't like that, in, in the whole business of energy efficiency, or when you're saving cost or expense, um, you're the enemy of people who want to sell stuff. So... If my pitch is, uh, instead of reserve power plants, I, I do it with smart software, everybody running, owning, or operating, or building power plants is my enemy. They would never openly fight us, because um, they are the dirty ones, and we are the green ones. But behind the scenes, it was amazing how much uh, resistance they were able to, to build in Berlin. I remember, I mean, when I said lobbying, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. As a small company, uh, we were lucky to get information of an ongoing legislation uh, process. So we, we were able to get drafts of laws while they were going back and forth, different uh, groups in the, in the ministries. And I remember our success when in a draft, suddenly our demand response system showed up um in the first time it was not a super success but at least the word was there and it was positively mentioned and the next day that law was published and put in place by the politician i remember his name i won't mention him uh, he's now famous for was being the, the economics e- minister the economics minister um of a certain party and and they're now i mean they're the the enemy of whoever everybody who worked in the green solar or wind industry now points to that person or that party as the the killer of the energy vendor in Germany so uh, yeah the uh, overnight uh, that passage uh, with demand response disappeared from the draft and they put out the law and uh, put us back another I think two years so after maybe four years um the whole world the politicians talked about us so flexibility in the energy market is a word that we claim I think we were one of the very first ones putting this out and um, now everybody's talking about flexibility
1: So today y- you you exited after four years and uh, looking back and coming back to the original, question mm. as to what the components are of integral investing, what are the, the lessons that you've learned from being an investor, entrepreneur, entrepreneur turned an investor, and, and back and forth. One was never invest into a regulated market.
2: Yeah, for example. I mean, regulation, uh, regulation can be good. I'm, I'm very grateful that there is regulation in the medical uh, device market, but the rules are clear. Um, everybody are Not know. volatile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, in detail, everybody has their little uh, things with them, but you know, why they're there, and uh, and uh, it introduced a lot of safety procedures into the whole industry. They're well known, exactly, and everybody sticks to the same rules. And uh, there's still enough room for innovation. Um, in In the energy world, uh, that was an experience where we said, "Oh my God." Even in a positive sense, right? We have this renewable energy law in Germany, where people get reimbursed for feeding in um, green energy into the grid. Um, Feed That's tariffs. very nice, uh, great. Um, but would you invest in a startup that is that depends on that? Better not. I mean, we had countries like in, in Spain and Italy where these laws change overnight. So even when there is favorable regulation, you cannot trust that. You cannot trust the government um, in in that respect. When you invest, it must be an idea that must survive different regimes, uh, regulations. Um, It must be so clearly, inevitably successful, even without regulations.
1: So you have invested... Roughly, we never really counted them, but more than 45, 50 investments uh, Mm -hmm. since we began investing 26 years ago. And you are famous for having what we call in German the golden nose where you can have this talent of picking the perfect investment and really making it successful. Give us some insights as to how you pick and choose what what makes a good investor what are the are they some soft criteria hard criteria how would you structure that um, that you know all of it s- flew into into the integral investing model that we have but tell us a little bit particularly from the de-risking perspective which mm-hmm. is the most important one
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well. Uh, after a while, and, and we went through the history where we said um, it has to make sense. It has to be deep tech. Uh, it's defendable. Um, uh, starting with that, you narrow it down. And we are now saying um, uh, we can actually define what makes sense. We are saying that... Meaningful? Some, exactly, meaning, meaningful. So um, we, we define that Meaningful is something that addresses uh, the, the the global grand challenges, and more specifically, now these days, uh, we can say um, it's addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and even more specifically. And I'm, I'm grateful to you to point that out. You're saying within planetary boundaries, which is a more specific definition of that. Um, so, a team, a founder, engineers who put something together. To address health, or um, uh, justice, um, gender equality, um, energy, clean tech, and food—these um, uh, are different kinds of people. They're driven uh, by, um, yeah, by more than just making money. Uh, they're on purpose. Um, they. Um, and, and there's a certain... That we saw that in Telios actually, um, which was, at the first glance, uh, a very technical thing. Um, all kinds of engineers and software people. But um, vendors, banks, uh, even com- competitors, they cut us some slack. So they gave us a break. So when, when things go bad or slower than expected, uh, they didn't shut us down. They didn't leave us alone. I think there's a very compelling story, I think, in the history of Whole Foods. Uh, and uh, well, thank God we had no, um, no bad accident like they did. Um, a- after a big rain, I think, yeah, the whole community helped rebuilding their, their store, their first store. Now, what we experienced was um, uh, that we never paid for headhunters. People came to us. Um, young students out of university uh, came to us because what what do you do? You know how to you're in the energy business you're an engineer uh, you understand the energy markets do you want to go and uh, uh, help demolish nuclear power plants for your next 20, 30 years? You can do that in Germany or do you want to build up something new? So they found us Um, uh, and and also we see a lot of people, bright people, who come, on, come up with, a, with, a, with an idea that might be smart, super intelligent. They're optimizing clicks on a website, or they optimize your click-through rate through AI and whatnot. These are the first people jumping ship to the next idea and the next startup when something goes slower than expected. Because it's just an idea. It's just a paper exercise um in in the in startups that address a social need or environmental challenge uh, and it's well known for years this is nothing new for people in the medical field they stick to it longer um, so that's a very good uh, ground for uh, investing ground field for yeah for investors it's from a de-risking point from an internal point, of course it's more fun and more meaningful, and it's, it's an, a means of expression for yourself uh, to invest in these things rather than something meaningless. Um, right? this, this video game, why, why should I invest in a violent video game? Other people may see this differently, it's entertainment, uh, it's, but it's them, uh, for, for me and for us. It's uh, it's more fun and it's part of our expression and how we s- spend our time investing in the, the important things. Um, that's one thing. The other is pure strategy but push it to the extreme. Um, you must invest. Investing in early stage, in seed stage, idea stage and early stage is so risky. Uh, you said it 1 out of 10 might be a winner and if if you're not that extreme then maybe 2 or 3 are winners why are are the others losing because um, uh, it was not a 10x maybe it was a 10% improvement over an old technology Um, I'm I'm, I'm very much a believer in it you have to have a 10x idea because when reality sets in Shit happens. Things go slower, the market doesn't pick up, people are having problems. You don't end up with your planned t- 10x, you end up with your 2x, 3x. And that must be such a big opportunity still that it's worth pursuing. Um, so when we're looking for ideas, they have to be groundbreaking. It's not technology, it's deep technology. It's exponential technology. It must be a trend um, and some people have an idea for the next improvement of their technology. It's not enough. You must have an idea where the path is for continuous improvement. So where's the the product after your first product? And the next one, and the next one. And it's a well-known effect in the semiconductor industry, of course, with Moore's Law. Every, let's say, 18 months, uh, the, the power... Um, uh, is, is is doubling, or the cost are going to have, and th- the same is true in in all kinds of things now. Uh, so we we, f- we follow a lot um, all the developments in the Singularity University, um, m- medicine, AI, food production, uh, robotics. Um, all these areas are heavily influenced by exponential um, effects in either costs going down or the power of technology going up. So for example, um, one of the last projects that we invested in and then where we also spend most of our times now is, uh, is a data center company. Um, it's, uh, th- the core idea is to make the cooling more energy efficient. Instead of using air, uh, as is the conventional method, they're losing. Uh, they're they're using water, um, and that's way more efficient. Uh, the um, The operating cost goes goes down. You don't have to use these big fans for the air. You just use a little water pump. Uh, the The whole building gets more compact, um, so you you save concrete and steel. Um, you, you 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 save land, and so on, and the um, Um, In the end, though, it's low-tech. The cooling system is what we have in every German flat. I'm I'm looking at a heater here, a radiator, a water radiator. Uh, Same thing, we just use it for cooling. Uh, It's a very smart way to putting this together, and it's patented. But that's kind of low-tech. And the whole construction industry is low-tech. Steel, concrete, um, but the whole industry that we're investing in is driven by exponential uh, technologies, by by exponential growth, the growth of the internet. More and more devices are still being connected. Uh, We are now on the the verge of the 5G networks, autonomous driving, AI, and so on and so on. So the the exponential development, growth of the internet is still going on. And the internet is, (laughs) somebody said... um, uh, Mr. Schultz, why don't do you still build data centers? Everybody's going to the cloud. So now we're saying, we make sure that when a pitch or when we're explaining what we're doing, we're, we're housing the cloud. <laughs> so the the cloud has to be somewhere and we're happy to provide good housing. And, and energy within efficient that one.
1: context, uh, you mentioned the implementation of the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries. Mm-hmm. How does that relate to that? I mean, people could tell you, so you're building stranded assets for our kids, right? Because 30% of the CO2 emission worldwide comes from construction. Uh, How does that relate to building data centers?
2: Well, the point is to use less resources and emit less CO2. Um, That's the bottom line. Um, So for a given um, IT load or IT power, um, w- we we need thirty to fifty percent less of these resources. It's a lot, thirty to fifty percent.
1: Because of the more efficient data cooling I- exactly. technology. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, f- um, the, the reasons are m- many. One is uh, the main uh, driver, though, is that we're using water instead of air.
1: So let me make sure that you know I get this clear for our l- uh, listeners. Data centers are mushroomings, whether we build them uh, with a more efficient technology or not. So our contribution to that exponential growth in technology is to build more efficient data centers that mm-hmm. actually produce yeah. 50% and less CO2. Exactly,
2: there's more to it. The whole topic of, we call it now, sustainable digital infrastructure. Um, there's a lot you can do and must do. Um, there is now a whole research field um, just coming up now on uh, energy efficient software. Um, how can you reduce the cycles per, yeah, per streaming, I mean Netflix streaming. I got an email this morning that we uh, some of us will talk to the founder of Netflix, uh, the Berlin friends actually. Um, They're talking to Netflix, and Netflix alone uh, is supposed to be responsible for 0.3% of all CO2 emissions worldwide now. Growing, growing. I mean, look at the tram or the train, everybody's watching videos. If you think about the bandwidth and what's going on, on the other side of your mobile phone somewhere is a server retrieving that, and and all the communication equipment and antennas uh, in between. Um, So that trend is there, so you have to address it uh, in in the whole stack. And the stack is uh, the software, the operating systems, uh, middleware, uh, the hardware architecture, uh, new kinds of CPUs and GPUs, um, uh, down to the cooling of the rack and the way you build the data centers, the, the large buildings. One of the things I had to learn... To my surprise, because I'm computer scientist and uh, uh, I thought the way you measure the size of data centers is in number of racks, number of CPUs, or square meters, if you're a real estate person. No. The one number that measures the size of a data center is how many megawatts it's, uh, it's using. And uh, for Germany now, a large data center is 50 megawatt. It was 10. Now we're seeing projects in germany that are up to 50 but they're ready to be expanded into 100 in other countries especially us um, that's a a small size so it's anything between 100 and 500 megawatts per data center is normal and that's uh, that's a small power plant right next to it there's actually cases where uh, Uh, when you're looking at the bitcoin craze that that needs a lot of computing power so in places where people install these bitcoin data centers next door they open up a new fossil fired uh, power plant or they reopen one that was closed down already um and that must not happen um It's not just, look, I mean, it's it's new to the industry, but that's what we uh, uh, tell everybody, um, especially politicians now. A a data center project is not about IT alone. It's housing IT. The project itself is, of course, real estate uh, with land usage and resource usage, but it's also an an energy project. So suddenly you have... uh, Yeah, you're talking about projects that use a large share of a country's uh, energy consumption and is, of course, responsible for the the CO2 emission. In Frankfurt alone, the number is now at 20% of Frankfurt's uh, power consumption goes into IT data centers and, of course, growing. So this is all about energy and... uh, um, we are supporting, uh, now this time around, uh, this company at NDC, we're doing the other way around. So um, our business itself is not regulated. Um, uh, we can build data centers, no, no problem about that. Uh, but now we're working towards regulation that sets um, minimum energy efficiency standards on a European level. And the large companies like Amazon and, and Microsoft and Google, they have uh, departments that support that, that work towards that goal. Of course, in the end, uh, this is the only way that they can still grow. Um, um, and uh, that's our latest effort, actually, um, to to work on a, on a European and, and German national level.
1: So in coming slowly to an end... What are three pieces of advice that you would like to give investors, entrepreneurs, business people today?
2: Oh, my God. Um, So, first of all, it's fun. You should do it. Um, You should do it in a group. You learn that very quickly. Um, What you learned and you think you are successful in does not necessarily repeat. We see that a lot of time also in famous people. Um, so what you did one time at Apple maybe Steve Jobs does not work at Next, but then again works to, works at Apple, but that's a different Steve and Jobs Pixar. almost. And Pixar, uh, Pixar was successful, but but Next is this example where. It just did work.
1: For those who, who don't know, uh, Next is the name of the uh, Steve Jobs company after Apple. Yeah, Next. Great,
2: great technology, by the way. Which,
1: which he sold to, to the Next to Apple. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so the core of the Apple operating system, the Mac operating system today, uh, comes from Next. Next. Yeah, that saved Apple, actually. Um, but Next as a company was not successful at all. Um, anyways, um, so it's, um, it's either as an entrepreneur or as an investor, um, it is fun uh, always to talk to very smart people thinking about the future of the earth and, and humankind and uh, what the real problems are, what the mega trends are. Um, also to play your role in influencing what gets funded and what not. You have to be very uh, conscious about that. What your task is and, and your purpose in doing that? What do you support and what do you yeah, not actively kill, but do not support? Um, and uh, yeah, what else? Um, that process needs to be improved. And uh, the latest thing that we are looking at now is to make that process in the early stage investing more scalable. Um, it is a very haphazard industry. Uh, on average, it's actually not successful. So if there's only a few people and groups who are consistently uh, performing o- above average, um,
1: and, and you belong to those. I mean, y- your return is 6.8 multiple, uh, a yeah. constant over almost three yeah. decades. Yeah so but we
2: have yeah, we have done it for ourselves. Uh, When you look at funds uh, that publish their numbers, uh, then it's bleak. Uh, Only a few well-known names from the U.S. are are outperforming uh, the the average. Um, And uh, the 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 system changes. So, so one of the things we're looking at is how can we bring the uh, the the learnings from the Angel's Forum with these 30 serial entrepreneurs putting together their brains. Um, and their experience. How can we bring this into uh, this this investment decision process? Um, and uh, that it's a major step for the industry because everybody thinks they know. I mean, once I was successful, that person thinks they have their gut feel and their instinct and their nose, and they will pick the next winners. Um, which is most of the cases, just not the case. On average, it doesn't work. Um, On average, when you're supporting or uh, growing an industry, an early stage industry in Germany, for example, Europe in general needs that. We need much more investment in early stage, uh, in small teams and technology teams. When you do that, um, you have to come over the next generation of uh, decision-making. That is the collective wisdom of groups so it's collective intelligence uh, it's the wisdom of crowds um, and uh, it's AI assistant um, and uh, that's what we're looking at that's what we're doing
1: and all embedded in integral theory, by Ken Wilbur.
2: it's true that is the uh, very important part how do you uh, systematize this so-called gut feel right everybody says they're looking at the teams and if they like the leader or the that, um, the quarterback or the the champion well, they're all looking for this charismatic leader and founder which is a very American way and it often does not work at all uh, just look at we work and uh, how one person it's it's almost like a cult
1: you mean the company we work the, just yes the, went the, down the, the company chain.
2: exactly right Um so that's more it works more like a cult now we are not in the cult business we're in the in the business business technology business so we need working functional teams um that uh, uh, that we assess through objective tests so we are using these uh yeah certain psychological development tests from stanford mit harvard uh, that you bring to the table and um that's all part of the integral f- model that uh, that we're using. That, uh, that that gives us yeah the foundation of why we should also why we should look in interior aspects as much as uh, as we look in uh, exterior um, aspects.
1: Last question: How do you want to be remembered?
2: Oh my God. Um. Uh, Tom has done useful stuff, brought out. I mean, worked with great people on important stuff that uh, did something better to the earth.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for being here.
2: Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: For more on Tom Schultz, Dr. Bosazan, and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.